0: As a financial advisor, one of the top questions I get is, where should I invest my money? How do I invest? A share's good. A share's just gambling. And for that reason, I thought that the perfect person to invite onto the show to talk to about this exact thing is Clint Abraham. Um, Clint is a investment specialist at Morningstar. He sits on the committee, or a few committees actually, who where they decided, he helps decide essentially where Morningstar invests money. So for a living... This is literally what Clint does. Clint, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, a, it's such an exciting topic. And I think we're talking about it in such an exciting time as well. And I don't know if it's something that you've noticed, but since recent market, I mean, depending on when someone's listening to this episode, but whenever there's market fluctuations, people start thinking about investing, whether it's something that they've been doing for a while and they've worked out they need to now do it differently. Or if it's something that they've never actually done and they've actually seen other people make some money, think, well, maybe that's something I should be doing.
1: Is that something that you've noticed? Uh, Yes, definitely. And and I think the thing that's worth highlighting just at the moment is that with this period of COVID uncertainty, we've seen some extraordinary movements in share markets. So when share markets first fell around the time when COVID was declared a a global pandemic – The major share markets fell between 30 and 35%, which is a really significant fall. Uh, But since that time, we've had a remarkable recovery. We've recovered those losses and we've gone on to make some very new significant uh, highs from that level. So uh, it has been a fascinating time in in financial markets for sure.
0: And and when it comes to uh, markets itself, and I mean, if we can even start at the basics as to what a share actually is and what
1: are different ways of investing into shares, Yes, of course. So a share, as the name suggests, uh, gives you a share of a company and that entitles you to uh, a share of its profits, uh, which are typically paid out in the form of dividends, which uh, listeners may be familiar with that term. So periodically you'll get some money in the bank uh, as a a reward, if you like, for holding a share in in that particular company. And we can buy shares in some of the the companies that I'm sure your listeners will be using day to day if not week to week many of the big companies in Australia are listed so the big four banks for example we could go and buy shares in in them if we wanted to BHP Telstra Woolies uh, some of the you know the real who's who of Australian business are listed on the Australian Stock Exchange and that actually extends right around the world. Some of the companies that, that we you know might use in our everyday lives, perhaps Apple products or uh, whatever it might be, we can go and buy shares in those companies as well. So uh, it, it really does open up an enormous opportunity for us as investors because when we buy into these companies, we are doing so on the expectation that they're good companies and they're going to continue to grow and, and pay us dividends over time, and, and obviously help us to achieve our longer term goals as investors. We can invest either by buying individual shares, like I just described. So, we could effectively go to the ASX via a website, online trading, or what have you, and we could engage uh, and we could, excuse me, we could buy. Uh, a, a, an individual share in that company with a minimum of $500 invested but what we can also do as investors is we can either invest in a managed fund so again listeners may be familiar with this term it's effectively where a fund manager will buy a bunch of sec- a bunch of shares on your behalf in different companies so if i stay with my example that we were just talking about before we could perhaps buy into a fund that in turn will buy commonwealth bank or bhp or telstra or whatever it might be and so that's a a really effective way of investing because it means that we can get investments across many different companies uh, and potentially we can have a a professional fund manager look after that on our behalf now the other term that uh, your listeners may have heard of is an exchange traded fund so that's like a managed fund but it's listed so with just by buying one security, we can get access to a whole range of investments. Oh, sorry, underlying securities, whatever they may be. Again, they might be those same companies that I mentioned before, they, they could be something different. So, there's quite a, a number of ways that we can look to invest. And again, uh, a lot will come down to individual preference and individual circumstances, what investors are trying to achieve.
0: And uh, as well as that, I mean, if, for those that haven't heard of Morningstar, um, can you briefly just explain who Morningstar actually are? Because um, uh, you know they're a they're a fund manager and they're also a, a research house.
1: Very much so, Morningstar is a, a, a very significant uh, independent financial research data. Uh, we we do a lot of uh, investment software, as you touched on, where also manage money, which is the part of the group that I represent today, um, headquartered in Chicago, r- roughly around about 8,000 employees globally, and we manage around about 250 billion US dollars, so uh, very significant business, and uh, you know, I look forward to sharing a little bit about how we think about the world and how we, how we value markets and so forth.
0: And also on that note, so as, as a research house like Morningstar, um, there's different investment uh, processes or there's different, I guess, philosophies um, that they have. And, and the reason I just mentioned this now is because when I talk to somebody that's invested for the first time in shares, for example, by themselves, you know, it's mm-hmm. normally something they decided to do at 11 o'clock at night after watching some YouTube videos. And They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to do this. And they make money in some areas. They lose money in others. Um, sometimes they just that they get lucky or they make the right decisions and overall they make a profit. And a lot of the time people don't. Um, so just yeah. if we can highlight why philosophy, what it is and why some, having a strategy or having something to follow is so
1: crucial. It, it is, it really is crucial. It's the the foundation of how you should look at this and you really have to have something that you stand for. Like in you know, many different parts of life, you, you need to be clear on what you're trying to do because at the end of the day, share markets, they are a financial marketplace. There's all sorts of different people, investors, doing all sorts of different things in there. They have different objectives. They're trying to, as I said, trying to achieve different things. And so it's really important that you understand what you want to achieve as an investor because what can happen is over time, we can find ourselves jumping from one different approach to another and it tends to actually be not that useful over time it can actually cost you returns in the long run as you suggest there so the, the key thing from, from from our point of view is understand what you're looking to achieve and what you believe in from an investment sense and i can certainly talk a little bit more about um to give you an idea of what morningstar believes in and then once you know what you stand for then you can go into the the, mar- the financial markets, the share markets, and identify those particular companies that meet your criteria for what you're looking for in, in an investment. It might be a bit, you know, the, the analogy that springs to my mind is think of a, if you were looking to do a, an investment property and you, you might have a clear picture in your mind of what that investment property would look like. Uh, there might be some physical characteristics of that of course but there also might be some financial characteristics you might want to get a certain yield or or something like that and share markets are are no different you need to understand the nature of the business models of the companies that you are investing in Um, from our point of view we really want to understand the quality of their earnings uh, how sustainable their dividends their payments to us are going to be, as shareholders, are they going to grow? Are they high quality? And then, of course, uh, we really want to make sure that we're trying to get a bargain when we're buying those assets. So, again, as, as I imagine would be uh, resonate pretty well with many people on this call. Everyone likes to get a bargain, and we're trying to do the exact same thing in financial markets. And that does happen from time to time, particularly when markets are very uncertain around the economic outlook and also when it comes to even looking at
0: markets and valuing markets like or even valuing companies for example and looking at what a company's making and how it's making that money and what its outlook looks like um, i mean and i know this is something you can talk about for probably 10 hours straight but <laughs> what are some like real basic principles as to what someone like morningstar looks at or what an investor should be looking at when they're looking at a company
1: yeah so one of the most common ways or generally what in Share market investors are trying to do is they are trying to understand what earnings, what profits will look like for a company two, three, four, five years out from now. And then they want to bring that back into a number that effectively prices the value of that company right now. And so, if I was, say, BHP, for example, I've got a number of mines around the world, they're going to produce. X tons of ore per year, and we can make an assumption around what the price of that ore will be. If we have an idea of the earnings that they're going to uh, deliver from their various assets, we can put that into a form where we can understand what that is of, what value that is is in a present day sense. And then once we have an understanding of that value, we can look at the, the current share price that it's trading at um, bearing in mind that all sorts of different people are going to be trying to do the same thing and we can understand if we're getting a good deal to buy that investment or not. And so people will have different ways of valuing those operations, understandably, uh, but the market's actually you know, relatively efficient over the long term in terms of investors being able to price that accurately. There's so many people in the market and the, I guess the net effect of all their different strategies is is tends to get towards the right outcome over the long term.
0: In talking strategy,
1: um, you know,
0: sometimes, and, and I guess it's like planning anything in our lives. Sometimes it's really simple. And there's, there's a saying, I can't think of it at the moment, but it's it's having, is it? everybody has a plan until they're smacked in the face or, or something. Yes, there's, I think
1: that's Mike Tyson's.
0: Yeah, the, the, yeah it is Mike Tyson's one, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, so, so investing, when I think about investing, I think about the ups and downs. And I think about, I mean, some people in particular that that come to mind straight away where when markets are doing really well, things are great and they're feeling great. Oh yes, they're making money and they could see every week what what their profit is, for example. But then when things go bad, they sometimes get really scared. And you know, there's, there's one of Warren Buffett's famous sayings is you should be is that you should be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful, Mm -hmm. Um, something along those lines. And it's a lot of this comes down to the psychology, you know, and the behavior of investing, which uh, many people probably aren't aware of. So if if you can touch on like the human emotion, I guess, in this process and the, the journey somebody could potentially go through and some mistakes maybe that somebody can make from an
1: emotional point of view, Yes, of course. It's so important. uh, And it's a key part of how we think about investing. There's a lot of research in the area of behavioural finance. So it's really looking at how humans make investment decisions. And surprise, surprise, we're not actually particularly well wired to make rational investment decisions. So what typically happens is that in times of market euphoria so when you see share markets really running strongly uh perhaps in 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 that vein six weeks or so ago it feels like the market's going to go up forever and as investors we don't want to miss out so we tend to pile into the market because we have we have that fear of missing out in actual fact that tends not to be the best strategy generally speaking and the reason for that is that in our in our efforts to get into the market, we tend to pay too much. And again, if I can give you an example that may resonate with with your listeners, imagine you're at an auction and there's 10 or 20 different parties that are all bidding and the, the residential property market's running really hot. Well, what typically happens is you get a lot of people and you end up in a bidding war and you end up spending much more than what you might have been prepared to or what you thought you were prepared to pay when you actually arrived at the auction. And it's really that idea that emotions can grip us, and when we when that happens, we don't always behave rationally. Now, of course, the same thing happens in reverse in times of great uncertainty, and I could use the, the recent uh, March 2020 COVID sell-off that I, I touched on before as an example. COVID has just been declared a global pandemic. It is really uncertain uh the 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 footage that we're seeing on tv what we're reading in the paper uh, it's very very worrying and, and there's a lot of uncertainty around now in an investment sense typically what happens is that humans don't like anxiety we don't like not knowing what's going on and we tend to run for the exit now when we do that we sell at any price just to get out of the market just to remove those feelings of of anxiety and in doing so, we lose track of what the asset is actually worth. So we just want to get out. We're not worried about the price. Now that again happened during that COVID period, and these behavioural uh, what what we what we would refer to them as behavioural biases, um, where we we tend to act irrationally. They are very common, and and they're quite you know when we look back at key periods in financial history, quite often you see these situations where humans get overconfident. In times that are perceived to be good, and they get extremely pessimistic in times of uncertainty. It really does feel like the sun's not going to come up the next morning. But um, time and time again, those sentiments, those those emotions will pass, and then a more rational look at that market will will indicate that people were actually behaving a little bit crazy in that environment. These podcasts have been brought to you by
0: Better Financial Planning Australia. To free 15 minute phone chat visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au and and as a financial advisor i can i can relate to that because when things like that do occur um, i get the phone calls and the text messages from clients um, as i always do um, when they're concerned about something but i'll I'll get questions like hey should i sell now you know Mm. is should i quickly jump out and put my super into cash or should i sell down these shares or should i you know basically run for the hills. And when I have those discussions, I, I sort of, I, I do that. I obviously explain the pros and cons um, of going down that path. Um, and normally just after my first or second sentence, the response is now, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay cool for a second and just sort of look at it from that outsider's perspective, because I guess we do this all the time. We, we become when we make any decisions, even buying a new pair of shoes, we, our emotions, come into it and we either choose something that we're comfortable with or something we've always had or something that makes us feel better, but it may not be the best decision for us.
1: Yeah. And and that's, that's exactly right. And I wanted to bring back in something that we, we touched on at the start of the call, which was understanding your philosophy, understanding what you believe in and what you stand for. If you don't have that in place, then it's very difficult for you to navigate the extremes in share markets when they're either really high or really low because you don't have as solid a foundation in place. And therefore, you're more likely to fall victim to some of these these biases, as I, as I refer to them, this irrational investor behavior that comes along from time to time. We, again, you mentioned Buffett before about his saying being greedy when others are fearful, fearful when they're greedy. That's absolutely something that we we live by. We're much more likely to be buying when others are selling and selling when they're buying because we look for that that irrational behavior and we recognize that when it's there, we're more likely to be able to find a bargain. Again, people in that environment are just selling at any old price just to get out. And uh, if we're able to identify when that's happening and, and we're able to value the assets that we're buying... Uh, Time and time again, that has been a, a source of great return. The, the thing about the behavior is it's much more likely to affect us as humans than, uh, when, when it's negative than when it's positive. So what I mean by that is there's a number of studies out there on this, if uh, you can Google, I'm sure. Uh, it basically says that humans fear losses much more than they value gains. So what that means is that if I showed you a portfolio that went up 10% and another one that went down 10%, the one that went down 10% would typically have a greater impact on you. The, the numbers are anywhere between two and, ty- two and five times the impact as if you saw positive returns. So what that means is if your investment fell, when you saw the red ink, as, as they say, um, you're more likely, it's going to trigger... A behavioural response that might force you to do something, and and you talked about this a little bit earlier, where you might feel the urge to just sell up and get out at the at the lows in share markets, and again, that's a perfectly normal response. Um, but the challenge is it's actually not that rational, and and we, as you say, we we must look a bit deeper and look at the underlying situation, understand what's being priced into markets. And in actual fact, there might actually be an opportunity to buy assets, not sell as, as you originally thought.
0: Yes. And also, there's. Um, I've read some research with some data to show that those that check their investments less often than most often are also more likely to produce, to end up essentially making more money. Uh, yes.
1: You're, you're certainly more likely to um, have a – what's the word, perhaps a more comfortable, ride. And so what I mean by that, let me give you an example. In the US, the US share market is down. If you, if you were to look at it every day, the US share market is showing a negative return on any given day, 46% of the time or thereabouts, depending on which time frame you're looking at. But let, let's assume it's around that figure. And again, if we come back to that behavioural response, we see a negative number and invariably it's going to be colored red because that's just how financial software works and again it triggers our behavioral response so when we see negative numbers we can again start to panic a little bit maybe do something that we wouldn't naturally do if we weren't feeling that anxiety so to your point there if you don't check it every day i'm not saying don't check it um, please do if you're interested and i would highly encourage you to be engaged with your investments and understand how they're working for you and, and how they're helping you achieve your goals over the long term. Um, but there's a balance. And what you can probably see here as I'm talking is that if you're looking at it every day, uh, if you're really, you know, you're not clear on what you're trying to achieve, it's very easy to f- have this feeling that you're on a roller coaster and and that's not that's not pleasant and it's certainly not the, the way to get the, the most out of share markets in my opinion anyway.
0: And and also let's let's say somebody has decided to to invest into into say managed funds. that they don't they've worked out they don't want shares because they feel like they probably wouldn't know where to start. They wouldn't know what decisions to make. Um, they probably don't have the time to sit there spending hours a day or hours a week looking at share markets and keeping their eye on it. And they decide to essentially pay a fund manager to do it for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Can we touch on the real basics of that side of things? Like, for example, active versus passive investing um, and just the main differences between that and
1: what options are out there? Yes, of course. So perhaps we'll start with the active versus passive bit first. And when you're looking at a passive investment, it just means that you're looking to replicate a particular index of shares Without trying to beat that that return, if I could say it that way. So let me give you an example. I could go on to the onto the market, and I could buy a unit in an exchange traded fund, or a managed, uh, or I could separately buy into a managed fund that would give me exposure to the Australian share market, just in its component weights. So I would get Commonwealth Bank is our biggest company. It makes up a, just around about eight and a half percent of the ASX 200, you might be familiar with that term, which is the the main index for the Australian share market. It's the one that's quoted on on the news every night and uh, newspapers and so forth. If you look at that that index, it, as I said, CBA is roughly about 8.5%, CSL is around 6%. You then come into BHP, Westpac, NAB and so forth, down to Telstra, Woolies and, and other companies that, as I said, I'm sure you would recognize. Now, just with that One investment, we can get access to all of those companies. Now, we're not trying to necessarily make active decisions around which one's going to do better. We're just having exposure to all of them. And that's typically referred to as a passive investment. And I can do that for the Australian share market. I can do it for the US share market. I can do it for a whole range of different share markets around the world. And indeed, a whole range of other asset classes that are not shares, but uh, that we can also use in our investment approach. The second decision that I can make as you touch on there is I can say, okay, well, I want to be in the Australian share market, but I want to try and beat the return that the Australian share market is going to give me. And I'm going to engage a professional fund manager to do that. Now, that particular fund manager will have his own or her own philosophy for how they're going to invest. And again, you would need to be aligned with that particular uh, philosophy uh, before, you, before you invested with that particular fund manager. So they will charge a fee of course, um, and that fee is gonna be higher than what it is just to, to take the, the passive equivalent. Uh, but again, we can engage in active managers right across all different countries in different industrial sectors, uh, and we can blend them if we want to. Um, Morningstar for what it's worth, we actually invest across a whole range of different countries and sectors and other assets as we're trying to deliver particular outcomes for investors. So uh, there really is a a phenomenal amount of choice for those that are looking to go down that road.
0: And there's a comment that I get quite a bit, and I'm sure you've heard it plenty of times, Um, but when I talk to clients about a fund manager, for example, or the the difference between passive and active and, um, having money potentially invested, you know, through a fund and having a fund manager attached to that, I normally get the comment that, Hey, I I heard that a lot of fund managers, they perform really poorly. Um, or I've heard about dodgy companies out there, or I've heard about, um, people investing their money and they're not, they don't really make that much, um, Apart from the fact that nobody has a crystal ball, um, what are your comments on situations like that?
1: Yeah, I, I would say I mean I'm sure there's there's horror stories that come up from time to time, but I would say that the the integrity around the fund manager space is pretty strong. We're very well regulated, uh, and in, in you know investors that or funds that are underperforming are perhaps doing so because the the particular style that that investor. That that fund manager is using is not in favour right at right at that time. So I would say investors should go into an, an investment with uh, a chosen fund manager you know, reasonably confident that they're going to act with integrity and everything like that. That what that what it needs to come down to though is the clients um, alignment with how that investors. That fund manager is going to invest on their behalf, and again, it's consistency with what they're trying to achieve in the longer term. And there will be—I mean, there's, there's hundreds, thousands of, of different fund managers doing all sorts of different things, and so there's going to be. Uh, not everyone can win; it's a zero-sum game. But there's going to be a period of time there where uh, you know some some will do better, some some won't. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's. You know, not a good option to consider the whole range of those types of investments if it's suitable for what you're looking to do.
0: And and I think the main message that I would give on that topic as well is to talk to a financial advisor. Because as an adv- as an advisor, it's our job to to look at these funds and um, look at what their philosophy is and how they're performing and why they're performing in that way, and to align that to a client's goals. You know, and and essentially this is what we do for a living. So it's
1: couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. Once you've gone through that process, you understand it. Uh, but until you've seen an advisor and gone through that process, it's it's such a different level of like education and even experience. Um, you know, I think when when the the drop happened with COVID. I had so many phone calls, but most people were quite relaxed because over the years, I'd educate people on markets and that there's going to be ups and downs and why downs happen and why ups could happen and all, all these types of things. So it, it does help to be educated and to, I guess, surround yourself with the right people.
1: I agree. And the thing I would add there is from a from a client's point of view, you don't want to be up all night worrying about what your investments are doing. And particularly if you're in retirement, this is the time for you to enjoy those activities that you want to and, and not be stressed around how your your investments are performing and, and what that means for your nest egg and your goals and all of those sort of things. So I, I completely endorse what you're saying there. Yeah. Well said. Um, and Clint, if somebody wanted more information,
0: um, how would you recommend they go about this? Because I know morningstarinvestments.com.au has some
1: good resources on it. Yes, we do that. That will uh, obviously tell you a little bit how uh, Morningstar invests and, and, you know, I'm very happy to talk about that in more detail. But the other thing that you may like to consider is the ASX, which is the local stock exchange, the Australian Stock Exchange. Yes. Um, they have a very helpful investor education section and you can even do a number of courses there and, and just get familiar with the basics around investing and some of the things that you might like to look for when you're choosing the investments that are suitable for you. So I would recommend um, use that in the first instance. And then um, it's, it's one of those things, once you scratch the surface, uh, it leads you off into a you know ama- amazing path of discovery. It, it does. And, and I think it'll also give
0: people that have never done something like this before, a bit of a taste as to what's involved. And they'll sort of Normally they'll either work out whether they want to continue to educate themselves and pursue this type of investing or if they want to just call an advisor or someone else to help them out because it isn't for everyone. It's it's like anything. It's like if I wanted to start building tables and I could do all the research in the world, but if it's not for me and if it's not something I'm good at, then I
1: shouldn't do it. Yeah, and, that, and that's right. And the challenge with investments is that it's very time consuming. It's my full-time job. And so sometimes people will approach it with an interest, but just find it becomes, you know, quite consuming. And as I said, Morningstar is a massive company. I'm one of a hundred that's working on client portfolios all the time. So we have enormous reach and scale um, and not everyone's going to have access to those resources. Now that doesn't mean you you can't and you shouldn't be interested in your investments. I would highly encourage you to, to, to be interested and to learn about how your money's invested um but again if it's becoming too much time taking up too much time then then definitely look to see how you might balance that time better
0: yes and um clint um with all our episodes i like to finish off with a dad joke Oh, yes. Um, so uh, do you have children? Are you a dad? I do. Yeah, so um, oh, you'd be all over it then.
1: No, I'm so, not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, what do you
0: call a baguette at the zoo? I don't know. A bread in captivity. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. This is actually from a dad joke book that my son got me two weeks ago. It's called oh, The Little <laughs> Book of Dad Jokes. So it's actually not bad so it's <laughs> that's, that's
1: actually not bad that's quite clever
0: yeah um clint thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it um and i hope whoever's listening to this has learned a lot um, or learned something about investing and should hopefully help them to make a bit more of an informed decision when they think of you know putting their money somewhere in the future absolutely thank you for having me That's a pleasure thanks for joining us on sharing more than the sheets please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases and feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.